Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you to worship. Thank you for being here in the overflow in Perry, Oklahoma. Any others joining us by way of video or audio podcast, we, we love you. We appreciate your commitment to, to this worship service as well and ask you to open your Bibles also to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. This is the last in a message series entitled Everything Matters. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes together as a congregation, not only in these worship services, but also in the Sunday morning Bible study hour. This morning, an incredible lesson written by our own Matt Betts in the 10 o'clock hour. You don't want to miss that. I want to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning. Take one more look at the preacher, as he calls himself, the preacher who's speaking in the book of Ecclesiastes, and really think this morning about his point of view. Now, I've been saying Sunday after Sunday, uh, sermon after sermon, uh, that his perspective is an under-the-sun perspective. He, he obviously purposefully takes a very different point of view from anything else in Scripture. Nothing else in Scripture sounds like the book of Ecclesiastes, and, and, and for that reason you need to think about how we should read and understand it. Now, it's absolutely true. Everything he says is true, and it's inspired by the Spirit. Absolutely. But we have to ask, especially as we read this passage today, we have to ask, in what way is it true? And what is it that the Holy Spirit wants to do and stir and teach us in the book of of Ecclesiastes? Sometimes I'll take a point of view that is, is not exactly all of what I believe, but I'll do it in order to prove a point, or I'll do it in order to lead you to a higher truth. Craig Rochelle, one of my favorite pastors, tells a story about trying to share the gospel with a drunk man, which is always difficult. He was sharing the gospel with, with, with the drunk man, and, and the man was saying, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. God could never forgive me. God could never love me. And, and Pastor Craig would say, of course God loves you. God loves you, and he sent his son to die for your sins. There's nothing you have done, nothing at all about you that God can't love and that God can't forgive. And the drunk man would cry and say, no, no, God could never love me. God could never forgive me. And they argued back and forth for a while until finally Craig said he just quit arguing with him. He just quit arguing with him. Whether it was the Holy Spirit leading him or whatever, he just quit arguing. Finally said, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe God doesn't love you. Maybe God can't forgive you. Maybe God just doesn't love you. The drunk man stopped and looked at him and said, well, he might. (laughs) He might. And then from that point on, the drunk man led himself to Christ. Maybe Ecclesiastes is intended to do some of that in us. There's a point of view that's taken that's not the typical point of view. Scripture doesn't usually uh, describe the world from an under-the-sun point of view, but in Ecclesiastes it does. Maybe the reason it does that is to make you long, to make you scream, to make you recognize that there's got to be something more. Maybe this world under the sun is not all there is. Maybe not everything is meaningless. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's more. And if that hasn't happened for you yet in reading Ecclesiastes, it has to in chapter 9. I can't imagine any passage in all the Old Testament that would make you scream out for the gospel more than Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Now, he's not going to share the gospel. I'm not sure in this day, in the Old Testament, I'm not sure at this point he knows all the gospel. He certainly doesn't know Christ. But what he writes 
points to the gospel, makes you long to hear and express the gospel because he's going to talk about death. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. He has just said at the end of chapter 8, he's just said that no one can know everything. No one can know everything under the sun. And then he starts in verse 1, chapter 9. Listen, listen, and uh, listen for the gospel. This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated just like people who don't. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That is why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they'll die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, it's all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Isn't there a better explanation than that? If... If the preacher is going to explain to us the meaning of life, is that all there is? Psychologists talk about a person's explanatory style. You have an explanatory style. So do I. What they mean is when something happens, when we observe something in the world, our brain wants to make sense of it. And so you have a way, I do too, of explaining things to yourself. Now this, for the most part, happens inside your own head, inside your own heart. But but the fact is, our brain does this. Our brain wants to make sense of everything that happens, so we have this tendency to explain things to ourselves. You do this. Let's say that you're in a restaurant and you're waiting on a date. Back in the day when you had dates, understand. You're waiting on a date, and and, and you're supposed to meet at 7 o'clock sharp, but it's now 7.45. Your date is 45 minutes late, okay? This is something you observe, so you've got to make sense of that. So in your head, you begin to explain to yourself why she's late, why he's late. You know what I'm saying? So, So for some of us, we look at our watch. She's 45 minutes late, and so we will tell ourselves something like, um, Maybe she's, maybe she's stuck in traffic. 
Maybe that's what you'd say. Maybe she's stuck in traffic. She's just being delayed, and she's going to show up here in a few minutes. Maybe she's stuck in traffic. Some of us would explain it in in, in a way like that. Some of us are are different, though. Our, Our brains are different. We would say, he's not coming. He's standing me up. I hate him. He's never coming. I'm leaving. He's making me look like a fool. Some of us are minds through that sort of thing. Some of us would say, some of us would say, maybe she's she's stopping uh, along the way to buy me a present. And when she comes, she's gonna bring me flowers or or she's gonna, maybe she's working overtime because she's gonna pay for the meal. See, okay, some of you would explain it that way. You've got a a lot to learn in life. But, But some of us would explain it that way. She's gonna pay for the meal. Or maybe you would say, maybe he's with somebody else. He's with another girl, and that would make you jealous. Maybe you think, oh my goodness, she's been in an accident. She's in an accident, and I'll never see her again. She's in an accident. Something horrible's happened, and you start planning her funeral. It's called your explanatory style. We all explain things to ourselves. The psychologists say that basically there are two explanatory styles. There's the optimistic explanatory style, and there's the pessimistic explanatory style. Optimistic and pessimistic. Now, if you're just looking at the the preacher, as he calls himself, in the book of Ecclesiastes, what would you think is his explanatory style? Optimistic or pessimistic? Yeah, definitely a pessimistic style. Anybody who says everything is meaningless, tragic, okay, we're looking at a pessimistic sort of person here. Understand? He has a a pessimistic explanatory style. He sees all of life, not just parts of life, he sees all of life is absolutely pointless. It's all lame. It's all meaningless, he says. It's like a vapor. It's here, and then it's just gone. And once it's gone, it has no meaning. It has no memory. There's nothing left. I mean, this is an extremely pessimistic style. This guy sees all of life as tragic. All of life is somehow absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Don't even try to make sense out of it, he says. Okay, I've got to ask you one more time. Is that the best explanation for the way things are? The preacher in Ecclesiastes, is he ultimately a reliable guide to us as we try to make sense out of our own lives? I would beg you to understand he's not. He's not. Now, this is scripture, and it is inspired, and it is true. But what you have to ask yourself is, is this ultimately true? Is there not some higher, some deeper, some more important truth than just to say, life is short and then you die, so have a nice time? Look at it with me. Go back to chapter 9. Let's take it apart. Verse 1. I carefully explored this. Here we go. He's explaining life to himself. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands. Now, he's off to a good rip-roaring start here. Everything, everybody is in God's hands. Now, that is true. There is nothing truer to say. Everything, everybody is in God's hands. But, But then he goes on and he says, even though godly and wise people, everyone is in God's hands, no one knows. And he goes on from there. 
No one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. For the preacher, he understands that everything is in God's hands. But he also sees something about life, and there's something about life that absolutely drives him nuts. It's the fact that life is so uncertain. Life is uncertain. No one ever knows. And this is the ultimate riddle about life for him, that you can't figure it out. No one knows. Even though everything is in God's hands, Nobody knows what's going to happen. It's absolutely unpredictable. It's absolutely unexplainable. He says that even though everything's in God's hands, good things don't necessarily happen to good people, at least not all the time. And bad things don't necessarily happen to bad people, at least not all the time. It's, it's just much more random than that, he would say. You can't predict. If good things always happen to all the good people, I could explain and understand life. I would know what to expect. If bad things always happen to all the bad people, then I could understand life, and I would know exactly what it is that I need to expect. But it's not that way, he says. No one knows. Life is uncertain like that, and surely you've recognized that by now. Surely you know that. You can't ever tell how things are going to turn out. You just don't know. If you could take your life back and remember where you were five years ago, you would never imagine, would you? You would never imagine then your life now. You just can't predict it. It doesn't follow that kind of straight, rational, logical line. Life's not like that. It's uncertain. You just never know what's going to happen. You never know. Last week, I was in a missions committee meeting with a group of folks in Rhodes, Hester. I love Rhodes. He is one of my favorite, favorite guys anywhere because of things like this. We were talking about the Bracken Association in Kentucky and how our church could get involved with the partnership there with churches there. And Rhodes, Hester, just out of the blue, says, yeah, you talking about Maysville up there by, by Germantown? I judged a beauty contest up there once. Y'all know Rhodes Hester? Judged a beauty contest. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Rhodes said beauty pageant, but he probably meant to say some sort of dairy cow thing. It must have been some sort of dairy judging thing because Rhodes could probably, I would think, judge dairy cows. But women in high heels and bathing suits, Rhodes, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't put you there. But it was women in high heels. and I mean, he was judging a beauty pageant. Rhodes Hester is like Woodburn's Donald Trump understand who knows that's just the point of scripture it's the point of life who knows you're never ever gonna know how things are gonna turn out it's a very difficult thing because right now sitting in this church or listening to this sermon the most pressing questions in your life probably go back to how things are gonna turn out you're in a situation You have no idea how it's going to turn out. You have no idea how all of this mess is somehow going to get resolved. You don't know. 
You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what your grades are going to be when they come back from your midterm exams. You don't know the next thing your wife is going to turn around and tell you. You do not know the next thing that you will find when you open the mailbox. You just don't know. You never know. And that uncertainty, the preacher says, that uncertainty is what makes life so meaningless. The fact that it's just so uncertain, unexplainable. But there's one other thing about life that really drives home the meaninglessness for the preacher. And that's the simple fact that while life is so uncertain, death is certain. Understand that? The only thing that you know is going to happen is you're going to die. That's the only thing. Only thing. The old saying is the only thing that's certain is death and taxes. You understand? For the preacher, the only thing certain is death. And for, for the preacher in Ecclesiastes, the fact that everything ends with death is what makes life just so pointless. It's just pointless. Because he just looks at life. He looks at how hard you work. He looks at how hard you work to, 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 to have a marriage and to raise your children and to, and to have something. He looks at how you mow your yard and, and, and you keep the grass and the flowers. He notices how you try to make your hardwood floors shine. He, he notices how you save money for, for retirement. And he, he notices how you, you buy clothes and, and you buy cars and, and you feed yourselves and you feed your family. He notices all this, but he just sees that you just end up dead anyway. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't even matter how you live, according to the preacher. Everybody ends up in the same place, six feet under. It all ends with death. And he says that's the most pointless thing of all. Understand, it's his perspective. It's an under-the-sun perspective, but he says this is the most meaningless thing of all. Everybody just ends up dead. It doesn't matter if you were a king it doesn't matter if you were a homeless beggar. It doesn't matter. You're going to end up in the same place, and nobody takes anything with them. You, you just die. Now, notice that for the preacher here in, in this passage, the, the phrase that honestly makes me want to scream so much is that really strange phrase where he says in verse 3 that we have no hope. We, we have no hope, he says. There's nothing ahead but death. We have no hope. Is, is that true? Is, is that the best explanation for life? Now understand, part of what makes this so tragic, what makes this so devastating, it's not just the uncertainty of life, because it, it, it is uncertain. There's a circumstantial uncertainty about life. In other words, you don't ever know how things will turn out. You, you don't know the eventual outcome of anything. But... But in this passage, it's not the circumstantial uncertainty that, that is so troubling. It's the spiritual uncertainty. It's the first thing he says when he says, even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. That spiritual uncertainty that the preacher describes there, honestly, there's truth in that. Most everybody you know would probably say something like that. That's what they believe. They believe in God. They believe that everything is in God's hands and everybody's in God's hands. But deep down in their heart of hearts, they don't really know what God thinks of them. 
deep down in their heart of hearts, they don't know if anybody can know if, if, if there's a heaven after death. Deep down, there's this incredible spiritual uncertainty. The preacher says that you really can't know where you stand with God. You can't know if he's for you. You can't know if he's against you. You're in God's hands, but you really don't know if he's going to show you favor. You have no way of knowing where you stand with him. I, I repeat, you talk to most people at, at the place where you work. You get to know the students, and you talk to students in the school where, where you attend. And I'm telling you, this is exactly the way most people think. They believe in God, but they don't know where they stand with God. And they don't know how you could know how you stand with God. So that's the best explanation for where we are and what life's about. It's meaningless and hopeless. And there's nothing ahead of us but death anyway. Is that true? Turn back with me to the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's let Scripture interpret Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If our hope in Christ is only for this life. Okay, understand. If our hope in Christ, if our hope is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So in that sense, Paul in the New Testament, he's agreeing with the preacher in Ecclesiastes. You see that? Because he says, if our only hope is in this life, if everything good that's coming to me is going to come to me in this life, if everything I have to look forward to is only in this life under the sun, then we are, of, of all people, to be most pitied. In other words, Paul says that's just pathetic. That, that, that's pathetic. It, it is tragic. It, it is absurd. If the only thing that I have to look forward to is, is, is this life, then, then, then that's just tragic. Paul sees that. Paul acknowledges that, but Paul doesn't stop there, and you can't either. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Do you understand what Paul says there? There's something that happens between the book of Ecclesiastes and between the book of 1 Corinthians. And what happens in between? Christ. The, the resurrection of Christ. The revelation of God in Christ. The preacher in Ecclesiastes, he has this point of view of just the earth under the sun because he doesn't know anymore. All he knows is what the Holy Spirit reveals to him. And the Holy Spirit has revealed wisdom to him, but the Holy Spirit has not revealed the gospel to him. The preacher in Ecclesiastes doesn't know the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that what he describes isn't true. It's true, but it's only true in terms of a life apart from Christ. It's only true in terms of a life that doesn't know what Christ reveals. But we know something more because we live this side of Christ. We don't just have one book of Scripture. We have the entire witness of Scripture. 
And the book of Ecclesiastes is there. And the preacher in Ecclesiastes is there. And he shares the truth that he knows. And sometimes he seems to share less than he knows. Honestly, in chapter 9, he talks about there being nothing ahead but death. I read chapter 12. He knows there's something more. In chapter 12, he'll say the Spirit goes back to the God who gave it. He also says that we'll all stand before him for judgment. He's got to know more than he says, but he doesn't know the gospel. Understand? He doesn't know all of the gospel. So here's the thing. There's more to this life. There's more. You cannot say that everything is meaningless. It's not meaningless. Now, if all there was was just my life from from my birthday until the day I die, then I would agree with him. That's just got to be pointless. It's pointless. Sometimes good things happen to me. Sometimes bad things happen to me. I don't seem to deserve any of them, and, and I mean that. I don't really deserve all the bad things that happen to me. It doesn't feel that way, but you know what else? I don't deserve the good things either. I can't explain why what happens happens. I have no idea. I have no idea. And if all I had to look forward to was my life until the day I dropped dead, then honestly, I don't know what the point would be. Paul says that. If if the only thing we have to hope for is in this life, then my goodness, pack it up. Give it up. That's tragic. That's pathetic. But we know there's more. Because we're not just trapped under the sun. It's not that under the sun is the only information we have available. We know that one has come from beyond the sun. Do you understand? We know that one has come from beyond. And he is the son of God. And he comes to reveal to us the full, full truth of God. And the full meaning of our lives. And guess what? The meaning of my life has nothing to do with what's happening under the sun. What my life is about has very little to do with what I see, what I can measure, what I can logically conclude from watching events unfold. My life is not determined by what happens under the sun. My life is defined. My life is made full. My life is given meaning by the death of Christ. My life matters because of his death. That's what Paul says. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing to look forward to but death. He doesn't know the gospel. Understand? Because there is one who has come and lived a life under the sun, just like mine, just like yours. He lived our lives and then he died. But then he came back. Understand? He died, but he came back demonstrating, revealing once and for all that there is something beyond this life. That there is eternity on the other side of this life. There is heaven, there is hell, there is a God who gives our lives meaning by his sacrifice, by his death. You see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun. The resurrection has begun begun through another man. It's begun. We think in terms of the resurrection having happened, the resurrection of Jesus, and that's why we celebrate Easter. And absolutely, his resurrection has happened. But, But in the gospel, in the New Testament sense, it's not just that the resurrection happened and we celebrate that at Easter. What the gospel shows is that the resurrection has begun. 
It's an event that began with what Jesus experienced, what Jesus proclaims. But beyond that, it continues to unfold. And what's going to happen with me and what's going to happen with you? We're going to be raised too. This is the gospel. That my life matters. My life becomes comprehensible. My life has meaning and depth and significance through his death. I have to look outside myself. I have to look outside this life. I have to understand that there's so much more than living and dying. There is resurrection. There is Christ. And he gives my life meaning. So back to Ecclesiastes. How do we make sense of this? I take you back to the part where he says there's no hope. That there's no hope. His, his puzzle, what makes life so impossible for him is that it's uncertain. What makes your life so difficult is that everything is just so uncertain. There's the everyday uncertainty of what will happen, of course, but also that, that spiritual uncertainty. Some of you in this moment, you don't know where you stand with God. You don't know what would happen to your soul if you were to find that this is your very last day to live under the sun. You have no idea. and It's that uncertainty. It's that uncertainty that makes our lives so difficult. Now, the circumstantial uncertainty is is one thing, and and let me speak to that first. In this life, we don't need certainty, not the circumstantial kind. I don't have to know how everything's going to turn out, and that's not what Christ brings me in the gospel. We don't get certainty, and honestly, we don't need it. We don't need certainty in order to live a full and meaningful life. We don't need certainty, we just need hope. Listening to me? We don't need certainty, just need hope. The uncertainty in in the believer's life is what makes life worth living, honestly. The fact that you don't ever know how anything turns out, that's what makes life exciting. That's what adds romance to life. You don't ever know if that girl's going to say yes or no to you. And that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes life romantic and wonderful. It's what makes life an adventure. In the spiritual life, the fact that we don't ever know everything, it means that God is beyond us and there's mystery. Do you understand that the fact that we don't have certainty is what makes life so deep and so rich and so much worth living? It's exciting. I don't need certainty in order to live a full life. I don't need that. And God knows I don't need that. I need hope. I don't have to know how everything turns out every day, but I do need to know that there is a God who holds everything in his hands, and because it's in his hands, everything is going to turn out well. Along the way, everything doesn't turn out well, but I need to know that in the end, there is a God who's already written the final page of this thing, and it's not a tragedy. I need to know that in the very end of this, when life turns out, it's not going to be tragic, it's going to be glorious. I just need hope. I just need to know that no matter what happens in this life, I've got eternity to look forward to. My hope is not just for this life. My hope is in the life to come. So if everything doesn't seem to balance out under the sun, I don't obsess over that. I know that in the end there is a God who promises to come and make everything right. 
I know that in this life it's going to be full of trouble and full of tears. But I know, I know that there is a God who promises that on a day to come, he will wipe away all of our tears. I know that. I don't need certainty in this life. I just need hope. I just need to know that there is a God who's holding it in his hands and he's going to make it all right one day. I just need hope. I just need hope so that if even in this life I suffer, if in this life I never ever receive the blessings that would seem to be due to me, if in this life everything goes horribly, if I die a horrible suffering death with cancer or in some horrible accident, whatever you can name, whatever you can imagine to make my life just completely explode down here, do you understand that I still don't lose hope? My hope is not in this life. My hope is anchored in the life to come, the life that I have in Christ. I don't know how things will turn out. I don't have to know how things will turn out because I know that there is a God who says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And if he has the beginning and the end in his hands, then he's got everything else in between in his hands too. I'm not worried. I don't need certainty. I can live without certainty. I don't want to live without hope. Can't live without hope. Paul says, if if it's just in this life that we have hope, we're of all people, all creatures, most to be pitied. The only hope you got is in what's going to happen in this life. You don't have any hope. You get that? You don't have any hope. So when Paul says, we know that Christ has been raised. We know that Christ has been raised. He's the beginning. He's the first fruits of a harvest. In other words, in in the way that he died and rose again, we know that, that we have that to look forward to in him, all who believe. You put your faith in Christ. You understand that it is Christ who gives this life meaning. If you begin to understand that your hope is in him and not in anything you see under the sun, when you really begin to understand that your life has meaning because of his death, then when you read Ecclesiastes, you'll you'll recognize the truth of it. When he says that everything is meaningless, you'll understand that because you understand what it's like to to live under the sun. You'll understand that the way he describes life is the way most people experience and and live life because most people don't have hope. They don't know Christ. You'll understand that when he describes it, life is kind of random and you can't predict it and sometimes good things happen to bad people and sometimes bad things happen to good people. You'll understand how how pointless that seems and how frustrating it is. And honestly, if, if in this life that's all we could see, then we would never ever know that God is a just and good God. Life doesn't always reveal that. It is revealed to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is a good and just God. He is a God who holds everything in his hands. And and he gives us hope. He gives me hope. So, So here's the big thing. In the book of Ecclesiastes, when he continues to say that everything is meaningless, nothing matters, nothing matters. Once you read Ecclesiastes and understand the gospel, 
once you begin to realize that things get their meaning not under the sun but from Christ that's when you understand that in Christ everything matters everything matters everything has meaning everything is held in his hand and in this life and in the life to come we have hope my hope is not in this life my hope is found in his death his death gives us hope pray with me God there's some of us who've never really learned to believe because we're still looking for certainty. We want proof. We want to see in this life the evidence of everything that you promise in the life to come. We, we want to see it now. We want to hold it now. We want to understand it now. We want that kind of certainty. But Lord, in this life under the sun, we don't get certainty. We'll never understand it down here. It'll never make sense. We'll never connect the dots. Lord, our lives don't make sense until we can look at our lives through the lens of the gospel. Through the lens of the life and death and burial and resurrection of, of Jesus. Because you have died and rose again, oh Christ, we know that we too have a life after this life. And we know that death is not the end. Death is a door through which we pass into the life to come, Lord. Our lives are kept and hidden in you. So Lord Jesus, I pray for every doubtful, every struggling heart. I pray for everyone in this place who feels unloved, who feels that life is random, meaningless, pointless, dark, depressing. Pray, Lord Jesus, for everyone in this house who really doesn't understand how they're held in your hands, how you're leading everything to the conclusion that you have chosen, that you have ordained in Christ. Help us to understand, Lord, that the true secret of life is not to just eat, drink, and be merry. But the true secret of this life is to die to ourselves and find our life in you, oh Jesus. I pray, oh Christ, that you will begin to flood every heart, that you would speak to the lonely, that you would speak to the depressed and to the sick, and that you would speak to those who are suicidal and addicted, those who are guilty and ashamed. Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of us. Teach us that our lives matter for all eternity they matter because of what Christ has done for us. Lord Jesus, let us not give in to despair, let us not live as others live who have no hope. May we find our hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.